0: Songs like that, it just seems wrong that we're sitting down and wrong that we're not clapping. And I have to tell you, I have the rhythm of like my dog. I I just don't have good rhythm. And so I I was saying to my wife, I feel like you know we should stand up and clap, but I probably would get it wrong. So if you have rhythm and you feel the urge to stand up, please do. I will join you, I promise. Fair enough? Ah, Goodness, that was good. How is everybody today? Well, that, all seven of us are awesome. <laughs> Glad you're all here. You know, um, we've been in this series in Acts, and we only have about four weeks left, which uh, is sad for me because I've really, really liked this series. It has um, done so much for me as a, uh, as a pastor and just as a follower of Jesus, but also um, it has done... Uh, it has really been an opportunity to share about what, um, you know, vision looks like and what God wants his church to look like in uh, kind of in the big picture. And yeah, we're working on some of that within the Avalon church picture. But what I find is, and as I talk to people, um, many of us in this room have said things like, man, sometimes don't you just wish that we could be a church like they were in Acts? Oh, amen. Yes, yes. And we have sometimes these rose-colored glasses that we we can put on about how that early church was. You know that they were perfectly unified and they, the good, there were the good guys and the bad guys and the good guys were the church and the bad guys were all the people who were trying to get them off task and so the good guys rallied together constantly and they were you know, unified and, and doing great things and eating together and worshiping together and, you know, and we have some of these pictures where you, you forget that they're real, they were real people who had real problems just like us, and they did not always get it right, and they often argued. We're not allowed to do that, right? And so we're going to look at today some, some interesting things about how that early church, some of the struggles that they had, which are so similar to our struggles, and how God even worked in the midst of that. I love the saying, and I'm sorry I use it all the time, but it is one of my favorites, that God can hit a home run with a broken bat every time. I'm a broken bat. You know, are you a broken? We're all broken bats, but God can use even the the bad parts of us. He can use even that for good. That's how good he is. So before we jump in, though, I want to talk about two events that are coming up that uh, one of which relates a lot to what, what we're talking about. Um, this Friday night, do you know what's happening? Yeah, we're having that evening of worship and prayer. I want to invite you to be a part of that. Nothing unifies a church more than us coming together, lifting up the name of Jesus, and praying that he lead us. That he unify us. This, this church, everything we're doing, it's not about me, it's not about you, and it's not about us. It's about him, and we get to be a part. And so this Friday night, we're going to come together, we're going to pray, we're going to worship, we're going to uh, spend time individually in prayer and in groups in prayer. We're going to seek God's will for our lives and our church's life It's not going to be a normal service, so I don't want you to think, oh, I'll just come Sunday. Well, then that's great. It'll be like today, but that's not what this Friday is about. This Friday is going to be focused solely on worshiping God and praying to Him. And if you're uncomfortable praying out loud, I said this last week, come anyway. You will not be pressured into praying in front of people. I would love for you to be a part So I hope you'll join us Friday night. And the second thing, though, is a little bit different, but it kind of goes along with with Acts. Um, Some of you have asked me and told me that you'd be really interested in uh, a trip to Israel, kind of seeing the Holy Land. And um, so we put together a trip, and I am going to be, after the service next week, just kind of sharing some details about that trip. For those who are interested, I want to share with you nothing and I mean that I have been to seminary. I've been beyond seminary. I've taken more classes I, than, I mean, it's just not even okay how many classes I've taken. Nothing has impacted my reading of the scriptures more than walking where Jesus walked. Nothing. So people are like, oh, it's a tour. Is this kind of a vacation thing? I will say it is amazing and it is, it's not a vacation because you, you, will, you will walk so much um, and then you will eat so much. It's crazy. But going going there um, has deepened my love for scriptures, and it 's definitely given me that love why I show you maps all the time and why I give perspective because I so desperately want you to know that this stuff that we read about in the Bible this really happened, and i 've been to a lot of the places that we talk about and it really happened right there. I mean, this isn't like some made-up pie-in-the-sky stuff with names you've never heard of. This is real. And um, I've had so many of you say, I would love to go too, that we are gonna put this together. So next week, you're welcome to, to come hear a little bit more about that trip. It's in 2019. It's a long way away. We have brochures in the lobby, and you can grab those on your way out as well. All right, so let's, let's pray. Let's jump into today's scripture because it's an interesting story. Lord, Lord, pray that you open up our eyes. God, help us to see the scriptures through your eyes. Help us to see the the struggle that we're gonna read about today through your eyes. I pray that you give us the courage to obey you, to follow the example of of these, these disciples. God, I pray that today that you soften our hearts and make us more and more like Jesus. That is our desire. In your name we pray, amen. All right. I have to start like I usually do, it seems like lately, with a story because um, as I was reading this passage of scripture today, it struck a deep chord in me because in many ways, I kept reading my story. You know, um, we have this story of it today where two men were on mission together and they sacrificed for each other. They, they were brothers until one day, there was such a disagreement that they had to go separate ways they, they just couldn't go on together anymore. And it strikes a deep chord in me because years ago, um, this, I feel like I had a similar story. You know, I, I was a youth pastor a long time ago. And um, one of my youth workers, actually a couple, Ray Lynn and I started becoming best friends with them. And um, so I would honestly say that they were some of the best friends that we have ever had. They're uh, they were so instrumental in various areas of our life. Um, we adopted our daughter Renee, who, wow, she's here today, which is awesome. We adopted uh, Renee as a teenager, a lot through the influence of this couple. They, they spoke words that, that were God's words in our life so often. Their son is the same age as my, my daughter Allie, who's 16 now, and the two of them, they grew up like brother and sister and a couple of years after we had met and befriended and all of this stuff had happened, they, they moved out of state and we left the youth ministry and began this process of starting a church. And at first, they were some of our best contributors to the church. They just, they helped us financially and gave all the time. But within a year, the husband was convinced that, that God was leading he and his family to leave this very lucrative job out of state and to move back and to help us with this new church. And they did so, and, and over, over time, like with, he actually became one of the pastors on staff. And I tell you, it was awesome working alongside my best friend in ministry. He was somebody who had my back, and I had his. And um, we had so many pressures and struggles as a young church that, you know, in many ways it forged our relationship together. And, and we, we became tighter, but then some of the struggles also caused some problems. You know, as, as all churches, you know, as you grow, you start having, uh, you see differences, you see weaknesses exposed. And as we grew, and we grew a lot, we, we saw some really big weaknesses exposed. We started arguing more and more. Our relationships started drifting apart. We spent less time together outside of work. And after a couple of years, um, we... You wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have looked at our relationship and said we were friends at all. Um, I, sometimes I wonder were we saturated with each other, maybe. But over the years, we realized that the way we thought about how to lead church, we're just becoming farther and farther apart. Our conversations became longer, disagreements became more frequent, we lost our temper more, and um, we really didn't look like friends much anymore. And for both of us, the change hurt deeply. I can't even describe, um, you know, you didn't even know what the feeling was because you know it wasn't betrayal, but it felt like that kind of emptiness. And we talked about it, but we just didn't know how to fix it. We hired a consultant. We went to counseling. Over time, We just realized the differences were too far apart, and in the end, we had to part ways. We couldn't lead a church together because we were on such different pages. And it was the hardest separation that I think I've ever experienced. And it was six years ago. And I still think about it all the time. I think about, what, what should I have done differently? What should he have done differently? I mean, we both, we both have said we were sorry for how things turned out. We both admitted that we, we were equally part of the problem. And we, we've always been cordial with each other. We've always been nice when we've, we've you know, been in the same circles. But the relationship was over. This is not a highlight, by the way, of my life. I'm not cheering this to say, and you too can be like me. Um, it, this is one of those times where you go, Lord, I don't know how it could have been different, but this is not pretty, and I'm sorry. And that's, that's kind of like the story we're gonna read today in Scripture. This story challenges me because it reveals that I'm still a work in progress. But, Today's story in Scripture is also a story of hope because in the midst of a broken relationship, and, and, and maybe for you it's, it's divorce or a shattered friendship like me, or, or maybe it's a, a broken family issue, you might wonder if there's hope. Could, could God use this brokenness for good? Is it even possible? Could God even heal this relationship? That's what today's story is about. And so my hope is that, that there is hope that you sense hope at the end of this because we get to look at the end of the story in scripture where I'm still looking, I'm still in the midst of it and I, I have no idea what God's gonna do in the end but we get to see the end in the story. We're gonna be in Acts 15. Um, we're gonna, uh, at the very end, and this, this whole chapter, we spent two weeks in it and it's been about how, how the men Paul and Barnabas have worked together to reach the Gentiles and, and you have to remember, Barnabas, He was one of the earliest followers of Jesus. It's likely that he was one of the people who saw the resurrected Jesus. And Paul, he was very different. He was this zealous Pharisee who actually participated in the killing of Christians because of of how they were contaminating his his Jewish faith. But then we, we did a story, gosh, two months ago in Acts 9 where Paul encountered the resurrected Jesus. His life changed. He, started, he was compelled to share what had happened to him, that he had seen the resurrected Jesus, and the, the men with him saw this, and everybody was it, was, it was such a huge deal. It changed his whole life. It changed the trajectory of his life, that Jesus, the guy he had been killing the followers of, this Jesus was the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. He was real, and he was alive. And as a result of that moment, Paul went from persecutor to the persecuted, and, and he started sharing the story. He started being persecuted. He fled, and he went to Jerusalem, And when he got to Jerusalem, nobody knew Paul as the guy who was the new follower of Jesus. They only knew Paul as the guy who was persecuting and killing Christians. So nobody trusted him. He goes to Jerusalem and nobody wants to even be around him because they're scared to death of this guy. They think it's a trick that he's just trying to find who the leaders are so that he could kill them. And that's when Barnabas stepped in. He had seen the change in Paul's life. And he vouched for Paul. And because Barnabas staked his reputation, put his reputation on the line, the people accepted Paul, and he was accepted into the family. So it's interesting that Barnabas' name was originally Joseph, and Acts tells us that. But by the time we know him in, in the Scriptures, they're calling him Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, See, Barnabas, he saw the best in people. He, he was willing to risk his own reputation for other people. And this encourager defended Paul. And, and what's amazing is that in the beginning, when Barnabas and Paul were together, Barnabas's name was always first. Barnabas was always the leader. But over time, you see Paul's name start becoming first. And you see that Barnabas... Not only was the guy who brought Paul into the Christian family, he also submitted to Paul as his leader. Just an amazing guy. And this partnership between Paul and Barnabas was amazing. They reached thousands, probably thousands of Gentiles in the city of Antioch. And early in their ministry in Antioch, Luke tells us, and we're gonna go back a little bit to Acts 12, he says that the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers. And when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned to Antioch, taking John Mark with them. So they're going between Jerusalem and Antioch. And then there's this guy that they're mentoring, his name is John Mark. So together... Paul and Barnabas are commissioned to start going around, you know, around the Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire, to share this message of Jesus, that Jesus is alive, that he is Lord. And so they plant churches as people begin responding to this message that Jesus is Lord. And then it says, there in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God, and John Mark went with them as their assistant. So they're mentoring this guy, John Mark. And it continues in verse 13. Paul and his companions then left for Paphos by ship for Pamphylia. You guys know these places, right? And, um, the po- and landing at the port town of Perga. See, don't worry about the geography here. I put a little map up there. But the reality is, here's the point. There, John, left, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. So they're together. John Mark travels with them to three different cities. And then he leaves. But then after a successful trip, Paul and Barnabas head head to Antioch and then they head home, which is what we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks. They go to Jerusalem for this Jerusalem council because there's all these questions about why, why are Gentiles not having to become Jewish to follow Jesus, the Jewish Messiah? And so they debate about this and that's what we've talked about for the last couple of weeks. And then they go back to Antioch with this crucial decision that they get to tell everybody. Gentiles, you don't have to become Jewish to follow Jesus. And there's this big party and barbecue and all that that we've talked about. So this is where we start today. We're in Acts 15, and, and it's something else. It says, after some time, so they're in Antioch and they're doing their thing, Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back and let's visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord. Let's see how the new believers are doing. Let's go back. Barnabas agreed. Barnabas agreed. And he wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul, he disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them earlier when they were in Pamphylia and he had not continued with them in their work. And look at 39. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and headed for Cyprus. So he got on a boat and headed to the island of Cyprus, which was where Barnabas and John Mark were were from. And then Paul, it says, chose Silas. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strength, strengthening the churches there. So you have this huge disagreement between two partners in ministry who have been together for a long time and seen so much success in, in the Gentile church in Antioch. And, and Paul says, John Mark let us down, he doesn't get another chance. But Barnabas, he's the encourager, and we're going to find out in a little bit. He's also, it's personal, because John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. And and Barnabas believed in John Mark when nobody else would, just like he believed in Paul when nobody else would. So for Barnabas, John Mark deserved one more chance. And their disagreement was so stark that they had to go separate ways. So Paul and, uh, and Silas went by land. Barnabas went by sea. With John Mark, who here's the question: who was right? Who was right? I mean, was Paul right? Because what they were doing was important, it was eternally important. Not internally, eternally important. Paul, and he said he, he needed people he could trust. He needed people who, who would not let him down. <coughs> Excuse me. Or or was Barnabas right? Did John Mark deserve another chance? I mean, he was family. He wanted to go. Should Barnabas, I mean, shouldn't Paul give John Mark a second chance, kind of like Barnabas gave Paul a second chance? Who was right? Who was right? Who, who was the good team? Who was the bad team? You know, I think both were right. See, they were both standing up for their convictions. And that, trust me, this isn't wishy washy. You'll see in a second. Both of them were making the best decision they could with the information that they had. But they did see things differently, no doubt. See, I I know, having been there, I know there was anger and hurt. There was brokenness. These men had sacrificed for each other. They had risked their lives together. But they were at this impasse and they couldn't continue on together. There was too much disagreement. So my question for you is, have you ever been there? Have you ever been to that place where the relationship just didn't seem like it could go any farther. (laughs) Excuse me. Maybe it was a friendship. Maybe it was a partnership. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a marriage. Maybe it was a church member or a church that just seemed to be going in a different direction than you were going. My question is, how did you respond? How did you respond? Did you scrap the relationship and just say, forget it, I'm out of here? Or... I would ask, is that what Paul and Barnabas did? Because unfortunately for us, Luke, he doesn't give us any more of the story. And I just want to go, Luke, what were you thinking, man? We need to know what's going on here. But he doesn't. The good news for us is that Paul does. Paul reveals some different uh, facts and some different turns in the story in his letters. See, a couple of years after Paul split from Barnabas, Paul and Silas Sil- Sil- I don't know why Miley Cyrus or Billy Ray Cyrus is in my head, but I can't say Silas to save my life. Um, Paul and Silas start a church in the city of Corinth. And you can see, I mean, this is way far away in Greece. They had never gone this far before. This is is way out of the location that they've been. And so years later, (laughs) after the Corinthians started challenging Paul's authority, he writes them a letter. And this is what he says. It's interesting. He says, don't we have a right to live in your homes and share your meals? (coughs) Excuse me. Don't we have the right to bring a believing wife with us as the other apostles and the Lord's brother do and as Peter does? So he's like, you know, I'm serving you. I'm serving with you. You won't provide hospitality like you do other Christian leaders. But then look at verse six. Very interesting. He says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? And you're like, Barnabas? Barnabas? How do they know about Barnabas? I mean, Paul and Silas, they start the church in Acts 18. How are they familiar with Barnabas? How did they know that Barnabas was a a fellow co-laborer with Paul? Well, I mean, obviously, after the split, it appears they continued working together, Paul and Barnabas. They weren't competitors. They weren't enemies. They had the same mission. And what I love is, you know, they followed the words of Jesus When he said, and we've said it a lot in here, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It appears that Paul and Barnabas both took Jesus' words to heart and they continued working together. But Paul and Barnabas are good, but what I find very interesting is the relationship that Paul had with Mark. I wanted to show you a couple of passages years after this split. Uh, Paul says in the book of Philemon, And this is, by the way, parents, if you are looking for a name that you want to name your child, I think Epaphras is a great one. You should choose it. Um, (laughs) Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. And what are they? My co-workers. My co-workers. Years after the split, because of John Mark, Paul and Mark are working together as partners, as co-workers. Look at this one. This is in the book of Colossians. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings. And so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin, who appears to be in prison with Paul. Uh, as you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. So now Mark is a partner with Paul, and Paul vouches for him when he goes to other places. And you're like, well, what happened? <laughs> Paul rejected Mark first, but now Mark is one of the leaders in the church working with Paul. See, It seems that Barnabas saw something special in Mark after all. There was something special in there. But my favorite one of these is the one that happens in 2 Timothy. Because Paul is in prison. He thinks he's going to die. This is the last letter Paul ever wrote. He's old and his hope to live is pretty much gone. And this is what he writes. He writes, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. I mean, he's like, Timothy, I'm about to die. Most of my friends have either deserted me or they're just working in other places. Please come. And if at all possible, there's only one person I really want you to bring with you. Mark. He's, he is most helpful to me in my ministry. He, he's one of the ones I trust the most. I mean, isn't it interesting that the guy that, Mark, that Paul rejected first is the, one, the, the very one person he's asking for at the very end of his life. And what's really cool is that Mark went on to become one of the most influential Christians in the early church. He became an assistant to Peter. And under Peter, he wrote down the sayings and deeds of Jesus that Peter taught. And we have those teachings today. Do you know what they're called? Yeah, the book of Mark, the second book in the New Testament. That's this Mark, the gospel of Mark. Not only, I mean, you think about it. This, this guy who was rejected by Paul not only earned his way up as a leader. I mean, he proved himself faithful. He became an assistant to Peter. He wrote down all the teachings to Jesus. And in fact, it was the, probably the first gospel ever written the Gospel of Mark that we get to read today. See, sometimes we can get this picture that the early church, everything was so perfect, that everybody had it together, that the people were different than we are. They, they all got along together. But that's not the case. They were real people just like you and me. They struggled with different opinions, different ways of doing things. The, and frankly, this is such a great example for us, especially in light of last week where we talked about grace and truth. And sometimes... It happens. People have to go their different directions, but unfortunately, it doesn't usually end up the way it did for Barnabas and Paul. Most people don't work their problems out. Most often, my experience says that there's bitterness that is able to take root in rejection. It's so much easier to ignore people that you're angry with than to pursue restoration. But Paul and Barnabas didn't do that. They did not allow bitterness to take root. They didn't abandon the relationship. They parted ways, but they left space available for restoration and reconciliation. They allowed their hearts to be soft. They didn't avoid conflict, which I think is is something that I need to to hear. Because too often we stay away from the people we're mad at, we ignore the issues, We, we allow that anger to fester. And it's not healthy, and it's not godly. We need to value relationships and work it out if at all possible so we can learn a lot from them. Now, you think about it, our relationships. You know, we have friendships that have gone bad, marriages that have gone bad, families, whether it be a mom or a dad or a sibling or somebody who that relationship has just been torn apart. Churches, oh my goodness, how many people, how many, don't raise your hand, please, but how many of us in here, you're like, you have been brutally damaged or wounded by a church or a church member? And I bet most of the people in this room would raise your hand, and that is a tragedy. It's not supposed to be that way. I think that in most situations, not all, so please don't hear me say all. Many, many situations, we can learn that if separation is necessary in the moment, we don't have to abandon the relationship. If at all possible, sometimes separation can happen and we can still have this purpose of reconciliation. And even if it does, if reconciliation's not possible, we can always show grace. We can always show love. For instance, if, what if your church is going on a different path and you feel like you gotta leave? you you feel like you just can't keep going down that path i would ask i would beg of you please make sure it's an issue worth leaving for make sure it's an issue worth leaving for not simply a misunderstanding or a preference but if it's really a big enough issue to leave i beg of you will you leave well please leave well cuz you're still family You are. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and regardless of the church you attend, we're on the same team, right? Aren't we? We're on the same team. We, we, we worship Jesus. We are His family. So I beg of you, if you ever leave a church, if you ever leave this church, or if you're coming from another church and you're you're visiting here because of something that happened, I beg of you, please don't gossip about the place you left. Don't don't encourage others to leave to come with you, please. Don't talk bad about the church you're coming from or the church you're leaving. And dear Lord, please don't post on social media anything about the other person who hurt you or the church. Please, please, please. They will know we are Christians. They will know we follow Jesus by what? Our love for each other. So even if the separation is permanent, love, give grace. I pray for you. I pray for me that we are able to forgive. I pray that we will, we will ask forgiveness when, when necessary and we will offer it when necessary. And I also pray that God gives us the bigger picture uh, of his kingdom and what he wants to do because it's not about us, Right? Let's get to a little bit tougher one, though, because what about marriage? Marriage is often, uh, you know, it's like the deepest relationship that God has created out, out on this side of heaven. And, um, and of course, if at all possible, we need to work towards healthy marriages. And sometimes, and this is the hard part about relationships, and same with Paul and Barnabas. They were just fortunate that both of them were seeking to, to follow Jesus, but you can't control the other person. All you can control is you, and sometimes it's not up to you about the relationship. Sometimes it's not up to you because maybe there's been abuse, or maybe there's been just uh, the other person has, doesn't want to stay together, or and you can't control them, but you can allow God to continue working in you. Amen. He can continue working in you. So here's what I ask you: be faithful. You be loving. You represent Jesus. Now, here's where I have to hit the brakes real quick. Because if you've been in a relationship where there has been abuse, if you are in a relationship where you're being taken advantage of um, emotionally or physically, sexually, hear me, get help, please. This message today is not about staying in an abusive relationship not by any stretch. The message today is Paul and Barnabas, two men who love Jesus and want to have a relationship, want to serve Jesus to the best of their ability. So this the example about uh, about this reconciliation and working towards that that is that is very different than an abusive relationship. So if there is any kind of abuse, don't accept the lie that you deserve it. Please. Don't accept it's not okay. Get out, get help. We, there are people in this church who are trained and who know how to help you. So I would ask, don't leave today um, in that kind of relationship. Please, let somebody walk with you in the journey. Is that fair enough? Because I'm scared to death when I talk about relationships and restoration that people will, they will take that to say that I'm, I have to just keep accepting abuse. That's not okay. So, all right, well, let's let's land the plane many of the broken relationships in our lives might be saved if somebody would take the first step i remember um, i it was it was a while back i shared a message about reconciliation and there was a couple in the front row and they 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 came to me afterward and they were go i do not like you i was like uh-oh and they shared a story about a pastor who they had huge conflict with and it was like 4 years earlier and they, they said, we're praying. We'll figure out what God wants us to do. But just the fact that you expose that angers me. And I was like, you know, uh, yeah, uh what do you do? I, uh, sorry. What's really cool is that the next week he said, we call the pastor. He's coming over this week for lunch. Pray for us. I was like, okay. You know what's really cool is it started, it reignited an old relationship that, that he told me Probably once a month after that, thank you. Thank you so much that you just made me aware that, that broken relationships are not okay. See, we, so we all have them. I have them. I hate this message because I know I have a broken relationship. And yes, we've asked for forgiveness. Yes, we have both admitted we're wrong but I have to be open to what God wants to do. And I don't like that because I'm still angry. And every time, every time I, 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 I forgive, something happens and I think about it again and I have to forgive again because I get angry again. Please tell me I'm not the only one. I'm, I realize I'm squ- squeezing my fists really tight right now. <laughs> All right. See, relationships are hard. They take a lot of work they're worth it, they're worth it. The work is worth it. When we choose to love, even in the midst of our grief or our anger, our frustration, we lift up Jesus. We do, he is glorified and when that happens, when Jesus is lifted up, our lives change and people's, other people's lives change. We follow Jesus today because Paul and Barnabas, because they split And their relationship was restored, or at least not restored to the way it was, but it was restored in the fact that they continued working together. So let me ask you, is there a broken relationship in your life? Is there unforgiveness? Is there bitterness that has taken root towards somebody else? Maybe a friend or a family member, a church member, a church, maybe an ex? See, bitterness and unforgiveness are not okay because it destroys you. It doesn't destroy them, it destroys you. And it gives the world a very bad picture of Jesus. I'm gonna end with a harsh scripture and then we're gonna pray. (laughs) This is in 1 John and this is the one I keep reading, okay? So take it. If it's for you, great. This one's for me. But it says that if anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the dark, anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and they walk around in the darkness, They do not know where they are going. Why? Because the darkness has blinded them. My prayer is that we don't live in darkness, that God opens our eyes to light, that God opens our eyes to see that that in many relationships, if we just take the first step, ask forgiveness offer forgiveness, whatever, that that can change everything. So I ask that you make it right today, and I ask that you pray for the courage that God would give you the strength to follow him and to say yes, and I would pray that he would change our hearts to become soft and pliable before him. Let's pray together. Jesus, I love this story about Paul and Barnabas because it is my story in many ways. I just pray, God, that I will have a heart and that I will have a... um, the, the capacity for forgiveness, that I will have the love for you to be able to extend forgiveness when I'm hurt and to not allow bitterness to take root. I pray that same prayer for everybody in this room. We struggle, God. Relationships are so hard and there's so much brokenness. And so I pray that you help us today to ask you... Uh, to, to reveal people in our lives that maybe we need to go back to and, and, and seek restoration. I also pray for the person or the people in here who have suffered abuse and I ask God that you will help them to have the courage to, to share their story and invite others to walk with them. In your name we pray. Amen.